This is reporter Jillian Farmer, and today on New Project Media's Interconnections podcast, we have John Rode, the CEO of Res in the Americas. Res is the world's largest independent renewable energy company, and John is responsible for its North American operations. He has over 25 years of experience managing international and regional operations, most recently serving as COO of Anji Services. John holds an MBA from the C.T. Bauer College of Business at the University of Houston and a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the Ohio State University. John, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And and to just jump right in, uh, can you tell us about Americas at RES? What kind of company is it and how long has it been operating? Res Americas is the part of the Res Group. It's the world's largest independent um, renewable energy company. Uh, Res Group has been around for 40 years, and Res in the Americas has been in the United States and in Canada doing business for 22 years. Um, We're a pure play developer construction company and support services asset management known as for renewables. And we've been doing that again in the United States for uh, over 20, 22 years. Wow. Uh, and can you talk about how many projects uh, it has in its portfolio and in, in its pipeline? Um, in globally over the 40 years, we've um, developed or constructed 22 gigawatts. And a gigawatt is... Uh, enough to power around in the Northeast, 900,000 homes, or uh, in the Southeast, um, uh, 400,000 around, depending on energy usage for those homes. So that's what we've done globally. Uh, We're in 11 countries. And uh, in the United States right now, we have around five gigawatts in our pipeline for development. And in Canada, we have around two gigawatts. And then we also have a big construction part of the business. So we build a renewable projects for third parties and res projects. And then we have a big transmission and distribution construction team as well. And then we operate. We operate around one gigawatt in the United States uh, and in Canada and around nine gigawatts globally. Uh, And can you talk about what kind of uh, technology RES um, has most of right now? Is it solar, wind? uh, What's the percentage there? Uh, In the United States, it's primarily solar uh, with some energy storage. And in Canada, it's primarily wind with solar and, again, some energy storage. Thank you. And what is your input for national strategy in supporting new infrastructure in the U.S.? Are we at a crucial juncture in supporting energy needs? Well, I think to make any meaningful contribution to decarbonizing, you know, in, in, as part of our COP26 um, pledges, RES has been prepared to do three times what we were working on yesterday, tomorrow. So we and the entire industry has to ramp up and do round three times. Um, Today, we already have significant issues around transmission and uh, local networks. We have interconnect queues that are 
uh, more than full, sometimes uh, in a few cases, the interconnect queues for connecting our projects is two times the maximum peak load for that in region. So we have a couple issues. We are more than a couple issues. We have, uh, we have to figure out how to make meaningful um, investments in our infrastructure, which the infrastructure bill from the end of last year is focused on, but it has to be on a national level. It can't be so small and isolated and in pockets. It has to be, how do we connect everybody to where renewables are, to where the load is? And that's the challenge. And, and everybody's doing it in their own footprint without really a, a real uh, focus on it nationally. Thank you. And then, and then, sorry, and then Go figuring ahead. out the interconnect queue issue with all the, uh, with all the um, uh, independent system operators. Each one of those has their own issue, but the backlogs are years. It's two to five years to get through an interconnect queue process. So if you're thinking about uh, wanting to make a significant or put a significant dent and add additional renewables in each one of these um, uh, geographies, that's also one of the biggest challenges we have. Wow. Uh, and is there a specific ISO or RTO where you're having more difficulty or, or maybe seeing it, the process be a little easier than another? Um, ERCOT is probably, or uh, that's the uh, Texas uh, grid, uh, is probably the easiest place today. Um, SPP, MISO, and PJM, and ISO New England have extremely long uh, interconnect queues today. Thank you. Uh, and what are some of the other challenges that RES and the renewable industry faces right now? Uh, regulatory uncertainty on a daily basis. Um, I, in the last nine months, um, on the solar side, we've had two Department of Commerce cases. We've had the 201 tariff renewal, and we had the withhold and release order. Um, and bringing the business, slowing it down or stopping it four different times in the matter of nine months, which is incredibly challenging for us. So, and now we have the infrastructure bill that passed, build back better, which didn't pass, Build back smaller, which is you know either a bill that's going to be considered independent or it's going to be part of reconciliation, and that's around tax credits for uh, wind and uh, solar and potentially energy storage and direct pay options, and so there's an incredible amount of uncertainty just on the regulatory side for um, how we plan our business. Thank you. And uh, speaking of the the Department of Commerce uh, Oxen investigation. Can I get more of your thoughts about how that uh, has impacted the industry as well as uh, your thoughts on the president's two-year tariff freeze on the solar panel imports? Well, it's, a, um, it's unfortunate. And it, again, it brought all of our development activity and started construction on, on gigawatts worth of a new solar uh, to a halt. Uh, created a bunch of uncertainty in the market. And what when that happens, and for a, a, a global player like Res or many of the other strategic participants in North America, we have you know, a budget for investing in 
and we invest. And whether that's going to come to the United States or it's going to go to another uh, region, you know, that's the challenge. And we'd like it to come to the United States, especially for my business. Um, so that case really created a lot of uncertainty and uh, both in our development, both in my development pipeline and in the construction pipeline. So it had a huge impact uh, across uh, our platform. Uh, what will the recovery process look like during the temporary tariff freeze for Res and for uh, other developers across the industry? Um, I think uh, we've we've been very challenged with supply chain issues, both in wind and in solar. Now, so it's not just um, the oxen case uh, creating uh, some risk for us. Um, with coming out of the pandemic or recovering from the pandemic, all that supply chains have been impacted. As a result, before the Oxen case, we were having uh, supply chain issues, you know, cost of transportation, cost of steel um, were all rising and the cost of panels and wind turbines were all, all, all rising as well. Um, as, we, as we slowed down, um, there still was quite a bit of construction that was uh, ongoing where people had panels and yet the supply chain couldn't keep up. Now we have two year window where people are gonna to rush to get things done. And I think there's a high risk that the supply chain, again, will not be able to, to keep up with it. Um, with the best of intentions, prices are gonna go up, schedules are gonna be impacted and we'll have um, a, a lot of uncertainty over um, next steps and how we move forward. And so would it be fair to say we might uh, not see quite the recovery that we're hoping to see? Correct. I think, you know, if we, you think about um, the latest inflation numbers um, and the availability of labor to do the work, um, yes, I think we're going to, we, we're keeping our fingers crossed and we're hoping actually it's just a two-year moratorium on what could be a uh, uh, determination that there isn't going to be any action taken. So if that's the case, that's, that's one path. The other path would be, you know, a real uh, challenge to get things done. I think we need to get panels in by June of 24 to be part of the, the, the two-year, uh, uh, to be covered by the two-year program or the two-year delay. And that'll, that'll be where things really start to um, look interesting. Wow. Uh, and part of um, the president's determination last week included the Defense Production Act or the DPA, which can allow a public-private partnership to push for growth of domestic solar pan panel industry. Do you think this is practical? And if not, uh, what do you think works best? Um, uh, a, I think what works best is a, um, a well-thought-out um, and implemented a program to import panels and have a certain percentage uh, of panels that are competitively supplied domestically, also competing in the same market. Uh, what we're trying to accomplish is decarbonizing the um, energy space in the United States, but that also, but we also have to be careful that it's cost competitive going forward. What we don't want to do is have the most expensive panels on the you know on the globe delivering the most expensive renewable energy creating an issue on the other side where the users no longer can afford 
the energy that we're delivering. So it's a little bit of a catch 22. Um, so I, I don't think it's, you can put all your eggs in one basket. So I think there's a lot of risks around that. And what we want to do is we want to, we want to remain the most competitive place to build and manufacture versus creating an environment where we're building something that creates an expensive place to stay in business. Thank you. Uh, and at Res, can you share uh, its current geographical and vertical expansion plans right now? Huh, no limit on where we're developing projects. So in, if we're talking about the Americas, I assume that's the question. Okay. Um, we are uh, looking at every one of the markets. What we have to do always is look at where the sun is the brightest and the wind blows. And then where it makes economic sense for us to try to lease land or purchase land uh, coupled with what the interconnect queue is uh, currently looks like. So we have a short, medium, and long term. Um, we are back developing wind. We had um, paused wind development for a period of time. So across the value from uh, solar, wind, and energy storage, we're doing all three here in the Americas. And then uh, vertically, we, are, we don't own assets. We develop them, sell them, build them for our own or a third party, and then we operate. Our, our real focus as well in the group is uh, in, on support services. So asset management, now we're growing that part of the business. As a competitive developer, builder, we have a lot of strategic knowledge that can go into the operation of those assets as well. And so we're very focused on expanding our one gigawatt hour. Thank you. And kind of going back uh, to what, something you mentioned uh, just now, uh, why uh, did we see a pause in wind at, at Res, and what brought you back to it? It was it was um, the tax incentives, and it was what made the most sense in each one of the reasons. So, based on our modeling, um, we were seeing a higher, a bigger opportunity in the solar space than we were in the wind space. Um, and wind, uh, solar, uh, continued to be the most cost-effective um, solution in most of those markets. Thank you. And uh, with the uh, onshore wind sites kind of drying up, uh, we're, we're seeing pattern and, and res uh, seem to uh, keep building the onshore wind. Can you talk about what some of the regions um, we're seeing that uh, these sites are active still? Oh, I think if you just take Texas straight up <laughs> um, and then into Michigan, um, we, we see um, opportunities in that entire area. Um, to either, and again, it's either develop solar or, or wind. Thank you. And uh, does Res have any plans in participating in the ongoing offshore wind efforts? Um, if we could, if we were as big as one of the, you know, few of the E and P companies that's or the or the European strategics that seem to be able to pay incredible amounts for offshore leases, um, yes, we would have loved to have done that. I think where we're going to focus is on asset management and O&M for offshore uh, for uh, some of those bigger players, uh, specifically probably O&M would be the area. And is there a specific uh, area where that might happen right now? West Coast, uh, East Coast? It, the East Coast to start. Um, clearly, that's where most of the leases are and most of the construction I think the West is a little bit behind, but uh, we, we're looking at it and 
strategically thinking about those opportunities as well. Excellent. Thank you. And John, those are my questions. Is there anything that you would like to add uh, about any of the topics we discussed today or anything uh, for our readers or listeners? No, I think you covered the, um, the market in depth and uh, hopefully I provided enough information or um, the, some good information around Res in the Americas so people can uh, learn a little bit about our company as well. Thank you. And thank you for listening uh, to NPM.